I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. It's not just for men. It's for women who like to watch girls do anal. Yeah, that's facts. That's so many facts. Facts. That's a lot of butts getting fucked. You see these butts? Look at all these butts getting fucked. Oh, goddamn. But fucking... That one's in water. This is our intro now. Welcome to the Bearded Dicks Musical Fun Time. I'm the beard. I'm the big old dick. That's true, you are. Pounding them skinny buttholes. Yeah, get it, get it. You know, most girls think that when you're fingering them and going down on them, it's because it adds to the pleasure, but in reality, you're just protecting your beard from the bing hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Facts. So. So buttons. So buttons. Who's starting this week, Dick Fetty? You are. I Mr. am. Beardo. I'm ill-prepared. Okay. No, I'm, I'm just playing with you. So, um, big surprise. Big I'm sir. doing, yeah, I'm doing another video game this week. Oh, my God. That's the game, man. The game is called Go Fuck can we, Yourself, Can we just Fetty. call this G4? Oh. X-Play. You're Adam Seltzer. I'm Morgan Webb. Oh, I've never wanted to fuck you more. That's probably not true, but... It's like, I tricked you, I'm not doing a video game. Okay, just do a video game. No, I actually have something else I want to talk about that I'm very excited about. Today, actually no, it wasn't today, it was yesterday. In the mail, I received the Fly Ultimate Collection. Is this a best buy? This is most definitely the bestest of buys. So, the collection includes... The original The Fly, 1958. Return of the Fly, 1959. Curse of the Fly, 1965. Okay. The Fly, 20th Anniversary Special Edition, 1986. Ah, oh, Jeff Goldbroom. Yes, Jeff Goldbroom and uh, Cronenberg are boy! And The Fly 2 Special Edition, 1989. So, just as far as bonus features go, the original movie actually has audio commentary with actor David Hedzian and historian David Del Vale and has a documentary on it for some reason called Biography Vincent Price. Well, because Vincent Price is in it. Yes, that's true. But I didn't think they would just throw a whole Vincent Price documentary on there when I got it and oh. I was very excited. Yeah, apparently didn't know anything about Vincent Price. Shut no, the he rolls. fuck up. Okay. Uh, Flytrap Catching a Classic which is a feature that's about mm, 11 minutes long. Uh, and the theatrical trailer, as you are wont to do with these things. Sure. And then the only other stuff on there is for The Fly and The Fly 2, the 80s versions of these things. Uh-huh. Uh, commentary, uh, mini-docs and stuff, deleted scenes. Is the commentary Goldblum or Cronenberg, do you know? Uh, Cronenberg, actually. Nice. But we should probably watch that, because I think that'd be a little yeah. fun. Yeah. But anyway, the transfers, I, I, I checked them out. They are absolutely beautiful it is a foreign dvd but it Who is all it? uh kino 
It was released by ViaVision. Oh, okay. And it is all region, so you are good to go if you don't have a multi-region Blu-ray player. Um, I checked out the transfers. I haven't gotten to watch all of them yet, but I've just, you know, every time I buy a Blu-ray, I just throw on a few minutes of it just to check the transfer. They're all gorgeous, especially for the original Fly 1958 one. It's awesome. Awesome. So, I don't okay. know if you've ever seen it. No. Just I love that fucking movie. Just the trailer. It is more sci-fi than it is horror, mm-hmm. as with the remake. Um, I got my copy for 40-some-odd dollars, uh, 47.08, which actually isn't bad for four Blu-ray copies. No, well, actually, more than that. It's five movies, and they're all individual discs, too. Yeah, compared to the $100 I paid for the Arrow box of female... Convict, Scorpion, etc. Prisoner, whatever. Yeah. That was like a hundred bucks for four Blu-rays. So it sounds like you made off like a bandit. I, I really did. It took a while to get to my house. Okay. Um, but that being said, it was definitely fucking worth it. There is only nine left in stock from the current seller, and they go up quite a bit. I think it was originally priced at eighty bucks. Okay. Um, there are other things you can get it they start at the 46 that i bought it for and then range and upwards of 92 dollars. so if you're listening get them now the place i got it from uh the seller on there actually no i lied i'm sorry i got it for 42.58 that's what i paid from import cds they actually got a lot of cool stuff on their little mini shop on amazon so definitely check them out it's worth the buy like i said the transfers are great yeah. And you don't have to buy fucking five individual Blu-rays. Well, and you can get a nice edition of The Fly, which is worth 40 bucks in and of itself, because that movie's amazing. Yeah, that's true. So, that's my best buy. I don't really have much else to say about it. I've well, been... I think we can say that if you haven't seen The Fly, or you haven't seen it recently, it's it's a movie that's goes beyond a good Cronenberg film. It's just an awesome piece of 80s everything. I mean, Jeff Goldblum at the height of his powers, one arguably could say, you've got Gina Davis being hot as shit. Yeah, that's true. You've got some of the best practical effects ever, ever. And... You've got Brundlefly. You've got Brundlefly. You've got uh, essentially a harrowing parable about the dangers of cocaine addiction and and you get to see Jeff Goldblum pretty much naked swinging on stuff a lot. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where the 80s did it really well and then like there's this boom in the 90s and like early 2000s where they started remaking older horror movies and they did this like the dark gritty thing. Yeah. But like they did it with The Blob which was a really good remake and they did it with The Fly which was a really good remake. But definitely check it out if even if you haven't seen the other films, they're worth a watch just for, like, really classic sci-fi horror. Yeah. Uh, it's it's history. It's it's the thing that we love in, in, in video form. It's its history. So definitely check it out. Uh, you really can't get stuff like this for very cheap. And it's also pretty fantastic that it's all region. So no matter where our listeners are listening to, you can play it on your Blu-ray player. And that is... Ben the Beardo's Best, Best Buy. Nice. Yeah. Sick. So, I, tonight, will not be doing the usual disco box opening and closing and and naming ceremony. And instead, I'm going to do a brief tour recap from my recent two weeks on the road. 
doing Concrete Mascara as a solo act, and... You're not Concrete Mascara. I've never seen you guys in the same room. I know. It's hard to believe. Oh, wait, maybe you are. I don't know. Have I seen you in the same room? I tried to... You tell me. I, I'm not sure. I tried... To, I tried a lot of those urban myths you were talking about last week, so, you know, just to see if, they, if, if you were right about them being not right. Sure. So, I'm not sure where I am right now. Please tell me about your tour. Okay, so... I first want to say that it's important to note that Bill Cooterson did at no time fall downstairs, give anyone tetanus, give anyone conjunctivitis, or do any other kind of misdeed, inappropriate act, misappropriation of funds, or engage in any sort of gross negligence that resulted in injury. Now, that needs to be said up top. Now, I know who Bill Cooterson is. Please tell our fans. Okay. So, for those who don't know, Bill Cooterson is a candidate who is uh, a candidate for the people. He's going to be running next year in the election, and this tour was largely a platform for the nominee to basically explain to the people across the nation why they should vote Cooter in 2020. So, Bill Cooterson, he's not just a candidate, he's not just a symbol, I mean, he's something greater than that. A legend is maybe too strong, but maybe not at this point, honestly. Maybe not strong enough. Maybe not strong enough. And he is the guy who who organized this campaign trail event. He's the one responsible for some of the greatest performances I've ever seen. And, and he brought together disparate acts, disparate people into a typhoon of emotion, uh, uh, of political power, of exploration. Pure... And, Patriotism. Yeah, and, and deep self-discovery and reflection. So we will be bringing Bill Cooterson onto the show. I haven't, we haven't knocked out a date yet, but I I can say with certainty that before the year is out, you will hear from Bill Cooterson here, and from Bobby Goldwater. Yeah. Now I I've I've known Bobby Goldwater for years. Sure. Bill Cooterson I only met recently uh-huh. during the tour. Great man. Great yeah. American. Absolutely. And all to be all of it. Yeah. He bleeds red, white, and blue. Yeah. Integrity, well, respect, integrity, decency. These are the three things that Bill Cooterson stands for. Not the three things alone, but the three most important things. And it, it, it's just important to know that up top. Because what you're going to hear about, this this, this travel, this on-the-road, sorted, what-have-you, This is it's only ever that. Those are the core values of which we operated the tour under. And it's the the core values of which Bill Cooterson operates under. So if this seems confusing, let me explain. So I was invited by Bill Cooterson to join his campaign trail event uh, just this June. We, we, We campaigned from the 14th of June until the 25th, and we hit several cities. Uh, So the, the short version of it is we went from Albany, New York to Johnson City, New York to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Cleveland, Ohio, Grand Rapids, Michigan to Chicago, back down to Cincinnati, Ohio. We spent a night in, what was it, uh, Radford, mm-hmm. Virginia. Right. And then we uh, picked the campaign trail back up in Richmond, Virginia, spent a night in Philadelphia, spent an afternoon in New York ended things back in Providence where it all began. So that was our, our tour route. It was a nice little circle through through the heartland, through the East Coast. And next year we're hoping to get maybe a little bit further out west or a little further south. We want to hit all our constituents 
and really get the word of uh, Cooter out there. You can expect, uh, for those people who saw us on tour, to be getting letters in the near future that will have voter registration forms and a thank you note personalized by Mr. Cooter, uh, Mr. Cooterson, for all of your help on our campaign trail. So, you know, what I do as Concrete Mascara, and for those who are somewhat familiar with the project, so it is my project. I have a friend, Andrew, who has been pretty critically involved since the beginning. He doesn't always perform with me, and mm, about a third of the actual recordings are with him. Some of the earlier stuff, it's almost every song he's in it, but now, at this point, the workload is about one-third to half of all the recordings I do by myself, another third he does with me, and then the rest of them are a mixture of other people or, like, source recordings from other stuff that are pseudo-collaborative efforts, whatever. And doing this tour by myself without him, I didn't have a, a person to play, like, live synth stuff, so I prepared backing tapes using new material that allowed me to do... to have, like, sort of specific songs that were mixed together and do sets in which there was some amount of consistency, but then also enough room in the vocal department and uh, feedback and other areas to allow me to do some improvisation and just kind of mix it up as it went along. So I originally had three backing tapes, one of which was primarily based on material from the Perennial Disappointment album on Malignant Records, but I never wound up using that tape because we kind of... I, I quickly realized that it would be more fun to do both new material, unreleased material, and have a, use backing sources that were less full and abrasive and complete and almost in some ways don't require me to do much or, or even be there. Like, it's the kind of... The material is so good on the one backing tape that it's like I could just play it and walk away. Just stand the, there. Yeah, so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make it more personal... And I tried to focus my sets to the specific venues and the kind of crowd that we were in. So we played a nice mixture of legitimate venues, uh, the backs of bars, the basements of punk spaces. We played an actual basement of a, well, kind of a house um, in Philadelphia. And, you know, I, I tried to attune my sets to that. And as the tour went on, the focus on high frequency feedback abuse stuff which has always been a big part of the Concrete Mascara sound, definitely took a front seat. And by the time you saw me in Philadelphia, it was like largely walls of feedback kind of yes, things mixed with uh, pretty harsh vocal assaults, if I could say so. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun from that perspective. And then the other person who I'm remiss in not mentioning sooner joined us on tour was Josh Peterson, who is a published author who's done two books on amphetamine sulfate and also runs the Neurotic Force slash Force Neurotic label. Uh, he has a multitude of projects. There's Missing, there's recorded works under his own name, there's Neurotic Force, there is Repeater, Uniform, Sniper SM, and I think something up forward is his Harsh Noise Wall stuff. He's a published author? Yeah. So that you didn't see his normal thing. So this was his first live outing in the sort of context of noise experimental music. And no one knew what he was really going to do. And basically he prepared uh, writings in advance of the tour that he used at a lot of the dates. And then also did writing while we were on tour. 
that was incorporated into some of the specific performances and then used pre-recorded backing sound collage field recording type tapes with a certain amount of manipulation during the performances that he would use in combination with largely uh, constantly modulating his vocal effects through a synth filter and some other pedals in order to create a variety of voices while he did his reading essentially and Bill Cooterson and I were routinely struck by the power of both the reading and the skill and some like seeming simplicity with which he was able to deliver these things with maximum emotional impact so it felt like he was kind of the real artist of the tour and then we had a politician and then we had a degenerate noise boy which was me so degenerate noise boy that's our dick fatty there's a lot of stuff that happened on the tour that i'm not at liberty to speak about and i'm not gonna say anything more than that so <laughs> but i do want to talk about some of the specific shows and give thanks to those people that helped us in all the various cities so in albany we we had help from pete from the pain pain appendix and um molly who is on instagram and her roommate brett they sort of gave us this very rich warm welcome from the very get-go supplied people with fuel if you will to kick the performances into the next gear we all sold a lot of merch to some like very unsuspecting half drunk bar people that like <laughs> walked into our whole noise thing. There was some drama that got handled in a hilarious way and uh Can you talk about that? So the long story short is that basically Bill Cooterson had some beef with a guy who was on the bill, but not really, like the guy more had beef with him and so we were slightly concerned about why he would want to be on the bill with us. And it was made clear to this performing artist by the organizer that if he in any way did anything to start anything, his teeth would be removed from him forcibly. And then we were able to make some, well, certain members of the, the tour were able to make snide remarks to him later and be like, that's right, bitch, basically. <laughs> it, was, it was a pleasure to witness and also very silly. And I heard the story told to every person that hosted us for like the next four days. And was like, yeah, I know, I was there. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was all good. And, uh, we went from there to Johnson city where big shout out to Taylor. And I apologize. I forget his friend's name. Uh, they, they do a project called obscenity law. He hosted us, uh, treated us like Kings. Johnson city is this to sort of semi quote, um, the first season of true detective, Rust Cole describes this town as like the ghost of a town or somebody's bad memory of a town. That's what Johnson City's like. It's just <laughs> nothing but burned out buildings and construction revolving around the college that's there and just like total Rust Belt malaise, although it doesn't even actually fit in the Rust Belt. It's just this like horrible nightmare of a place that once was. We played at a venue that accidentally double booked us in a hardcore show, so the hardcore show went on first. We had exactly zero people spill over from the hardcore show Yikes. into our show. <laughs> yeah. And it was like fully attended. I ate a bunch of chicken shawarma, immediately got diarrhea, had to run in and use a bathroom that I had already previously seen, a toilet without a toilet seat, like that kind of punk venue. Oh, no. Yeah, I tried to hover. Eventually, I had to give up and just embrace the cold, wet, 
awfulness of a seatless toilet, only to find out a little bit later when Mr. Cooterson showed me the video of the women's bathroom that looked like it was the four fucking seasons. And I was just like... How did he get in the women's bathroom? Well, they weren't marked, but it's like ostensibly uh, the women's one. And I I thought there was a second bathroom and was waiting, but like I was about to poop my pants, so I had to just use whatever must bathroom. Go now. Yeah, it came up. I was because I almost shit in a dumpster, but the police station was literally on the other side of this big parking lot <laughs> from the venue, so it was like I can't. I'm not getting. I'm not going out like that. Johnson City was like a a mixture of ecstatic dream and horrific nightmare. Uh, there was we did the new block cooters at that. We did two special one-off performances that did not relate to the larger campaign events. And for this one, the long story short is we decided that we found a filing cabinet outside of the venue that was supposed to be disposed of, but it was essentially brand new. And then we dumpster dove a shovel and we mic'd up the filing cabinet with a variety of contact mics and used room mics to record the sound of Mr. Cooterson and Mr. Peterson destroying utterly this filing cabinet and it originally started as like we're going to just slowly work into total destruction it took like 10 seconds before they were like fucking slamming the drawers in and out of it and i'm trying to tape contact mics to this wet thing <laughs> while they're viciously attacking it it is like guys wait it was it was deeply concerning as to whether or not i was going to have all my fingers by the end of it but it it sounds incredible we recorded it multiple different ways and uh, we're going to be doing respective mega mixes there's going to be the concrete mascara version the cooterson version and the peterson version respectively in due time that's awesome it, yeah it it's the it was very successful we found a second shovel we brought audience members into it who then like lost their fucking minds and are just like slamming we broke one of the shovels in half like a huge steel it was very intense so that was excellent thank you taylor again for setting us up with that and letting us just do our thing it was much needed and uh pittsburgh the pinball wizard event was canceled because certain members of the audience during my performance which was not satisfactory for my own taste and partially the result of a broken PA system essentially and some gear issues turned into a devastating assault on a table that uh, is no longer with us. Did you assault the table or the audience? I was sitting on cinder blocks with my back to the audience smoking a cigarette patiently or like uh, I mean, deliberately manipulating my gear in such a way as to provide the most painful high frequencies I could possibly muster from my amps and the PA. And I was politely tapped on the shoulder by said bartender and, I guess, ringleader of the bar of that night who told me I had to stop. And when I turned around, I realized that they had smashed a table to the point where the legs were sticking out of it. And many, <laughs> many members of the crowd were escorted out. And Out of anger or fun? Uh, they were because they destroyed the venue's table. So they were no, 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 no. Why did they destroy the table? I don't know. Out of fun, out of appreciation of the art, okay. and um, a bunch of the people that were there were under twenty-one, and it was the, this punk bar. But it's one of those things where if somebody yeah. was to get injured, so I want to give a special mention to Niku Daruma, who did were one of our openers and eventually wound up being our host that night. These wonderful women, Claire, Alice, and Kelsey, uh, Claire and Alice 
performed as Niku Daruma and the set ended when they started shoving each other, I thought it was not anything other than they were getting frustrated with one another and it turned into like a full on brawl in which they were both like injured not insignificantly and I was like is this the show or is this like they're having a meltdown and that kind of line blurring was really effective uh they totally killed it it was brutal which, which was it it's the show okay but they but they hit for real like i mean the one girl was like punch kicking the other girl in the stomach repeatedly like screaming unmiked unhinged it was like proper shit and uh they hosted us later that night they were the most fun some of the most fun we had on like, the Claire, you really fucking got me tonight, man. Yeah, it was nuts. It, like, big ups to those girls. I, I expect them to continue to do big things. So that was really cool. Uh, a variety of events led to an energy that could be described as both cataclysmic and toxic. And we eventually were able to dissipate said energy for a temporary time when we reached Cleveland and stayed with Roman of Plague Mother and a bunch of other great projects who was kind enough to host us in our semi-feral state when we arrived. His roommate had two wonderful dogs. I can't remember their names, sadly. Uh, he gave us the warmest welcome that anyone could hope to receive in Cleveland, which the last time I was there, I left it thinking this is a toxic waste dump of a city and I'll never return. It basically is. My appraisal still stands largely. But, um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was so nice to be in a real home and like not not to say the other places weren't real homes, but it was it was very nice. We had to like de-escalate substantially. Yeah. We, we pulled up, people were like sweeping grass clippings into trash bags, and we're like cruising in, in my WRX with like hard. I think we were listening to either Leonard Cohen or Hard Gangster Rap at the time, and like rolling the windows down trying to find the address, <laughs> like straight creeping and shit. Haven't showered in days. Yeah, it was it was it was ugly. And uh he put on a great show for us. He that Rubber's Lover movie, he was like, Do you know that film? I'm like, Yeah. He's like, Do you want me to project that in the background while you play? I was like, Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Do you know me? Like or have you read my mind? So thank you, Roman, so much. Seriously awesome. He hosted us, he took us to the dingiest porn shop any of us had been in and we've all been in some dingy porn shops it's this converted bank the guy runs it sits on a pile of magazines and like a broken partial chair he has like multiple cats that just roam free and piss anywhere they want there's boxes full of cobwebs and mice bones and shit and all this whatever but i found in a great japanese porn art book and uh cool true crime magazine it's like a mixture of like brand new stuff and regular porn with like weird shit all mixed in it sounds like heaven dude it was it smells deeply of urine the whole time but it was worth it we we all washed our hands with wet wipes afterwards and it was like clearly filth coming you know powerful stuff uh that was a huge highlight of the trip i think collectively for us we really enjoyed that cleveland itself was really fun we had a great performances we, we had a post-beat-off tetanus rally event that I think was very successful. We had some really appreciative constituents who came out vocally and supported us. Johnny 30 Rack did a fantastic job. We were also playing a show with three other touring acts. It was two tours that came together for one show. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so Rosebud, uh, P. Peltier, and I think it's Johnny Nevada, I want to say, but the guy's name is Josh. Thank you guys so much for being so awesome, putting up with our insanity. We met them all in Pittsburgh the night before, just by chance, and they were at our show for that, and then, yeah, nuts. Uh, Grand Rapids was another incredible. We played in a house that was... 
The guy had a bootleg full soundtrack of Metal Gear Solid. We listened to the closing That's song six times awesome. in a row. It's like this double vinyl deluxe thing. And um, his name was Brandon. He's in an awesome band called Cloud Rat. We had a fantastic time. Our openers were really good that night. And um, I think we all played like some of our best sets. We did uh, the Endless Block Cooter that night, which was our other special one-off. It was a riff on the Endless Blockade. There was a bunch of grind people in attendance. It turned into like Xenopticon with like Power Electronics vocals. It was insane. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. We played on the best PA I've ever played on. Our host was incredibly gracious and hilarious. We went to a greasy spoon at like one in the morning and had like loud conversations about the nature of anti-human satanic metal and breeding and what people are about and cracked up pretty much every other person in that diner. It was really fantastic. So thank you to everybody in Grand Rapids for like that, again, extremely warm welcome for a bunch of degenerates who did not deserve it. My set was my favorite of the whole time. It was the only one I didn't record, of course. And uh, You piece of shit. Dude, the PA was just like, you, you want to think high-frequency piercing feedback. Like, that PA was so clean. It was like listening to electricity frying your fucking brainstem. It was really fantastic. And Josh did just a straight reading. And part of it was based on things that had happened and uh, on the tour already. And it was good stuff. Chicago, we didn't play. We stayed with the wonderful Jake from Bacteria Field and his girlfriend Cassie. Their apartment was incredible. Their hospitality was wonderful. Uh, everybody got a little bit tipsy. I drove them all home later that <laughs> night, and we blasted Madonna and some other real good cheese pop stuff. We saw Rectal Hygienics, who are a big deal band from the area. They play like scuzzy, noise rock, punk, horrible stuff in an extremely fancy new venue that was so like such a weird dichotomy we saw the incredible mellow harsher who do you know 30 second songs and then five minutes of stand-up comedy essentially between each what? song it drove josh insane andrew and i were in love i apologize mr cooterson and i and uh that was really fantastic and the other bands were good too stimulant it was was really fun it was like a two-piece grind unit well and then the opener was kind of shit but whatever cincinnati is like our new home away from home. We were, we, we we tried the patience of the crowd that night. It was the trial of Bill Cooterson. I don't want to get too much into it, but I will say that the judge was crooked. He was a member of the deep state. He clearly had it out for, uh, you know, Mr. Cordry, who was Mr. Cooterson's lawyer, and Mr. Cooterson himself. Mr. Cordry was arrested at the end of the trial for like allegations of manufacturing methamphetamines and alleged terroristic threats to the judge and the jury. I don't think that's really what happened. I don't think that was right, but it was pretty outrageous. That's uh, incredible. The audience participated in a literal acoustic hour-long full-on trial. Uh, as somebody with experience with trial as on multiple levels, I was able to give some slight insights. We had evidence that we used, like physical evidence that was passed around to the jury. We made audio recordings related to the allegations it was insane. Our judge had an axe, you know, my hatchet in my car. Mm -hmm. He used that as the gavel and slammed <laughs> it on a stop sign. Uh, we left. We gave the jury a full jury instruction, like the elements of every charge, explained to them what they needed to find in order to find Mr. Cooterson guilty of said charges. And we essentially wound up with a hung jury that the, the alleged judge overrode the ruling, which is, in my opinion, not legal and totally without precedent. But... 
that was insane. We played in a loft slash factory space slash printing press studio, like three tier building that was literally the coolest living space I've ever seen in my entire life. And our hosts, Kyle and Andrew, were incredible. They Andrew played an awesome set. Kyle was nothing but kind. We got to use a freight elevator that was the coolest sounding thing I've ever been inside of. It was phenomenal. Uh, Radford, Virginia. Well, we didn't <laughs> get lynched. And it was really fun because we picked up Bobby Goldwater for that last leg of the tour. We picked him up in Kentucky. He came with us all the way through uh, Philadelphia, which was really kind of him. He's currently co-running with uh mr cooterson he's he's going to be his vice president and uh you'll hear more from him in the future but we had a night off we all went to bed at a reasonable time nobody got hammered it was uh it was a pretty reasonable thing we went and had dinner at a pretty shitty bar with a very perky waitress and that was chill nobody got lynched it was a good time richmond richmond was a little disappointing because our host and one of the people that lived at the house we played at wound up getting stuck like in Boston, essentially on a job and wasn't going to get home till four in the morning. And so his friends ran it for us, which was fine. Kyle, thank you so much. And I forget the dude's name from crazy Doberman, but they were extremely helpful and kind to us when we got there. I don't know that Bobby Goldwater really meshed with the people of Richmond, which was unfortunate, but I think Bill Cooterson really did a good job in, clearing his name after the debacle in Cincinnati, which was in no way his fault. Um, good sets, good people, good times. We stayed with Allison and Rich, and that was really nice. Uh, her sister, God forgive me if I forget her name, I believe it's Emily. Um, they were all wonderful. They had wonderful pets. We got to hang out with puppies and kittens and... That was oh, that's very, the best. Yeah, it was a really good way to spend our time in Richmond. We had some really nice meals. And uh, so thank you guys for that. <sighs> Philly. Philly was fucking Philadelphia. Yeah, seriously. We brought it home big for Philly. Rachel, Rosie, and everybody else at Heaven's Gate, Tricky Youth, they all they came out in big force. They allowed us to do our thing, even despite threats of the police showing up, quite literally. And uh, there was a wee bit of an alleged prison riot-related incident. I don't know anything about it. All I know is that, you know, anybody who says Bill Cooterson was involved in anything illegal is full of shit, first and foremost. And I, I think that the prison guards were using excessive force throughout the course of the alleged riot. There wasn't yeah, any I mean, violence. I, I was there. Right. I saw no riots. The only thing I saw was prison guards being assholes. Yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty upsetting, but also it was fantastic because Neurotic Force made its debut, its live debut. Uh, there was a nice little Bruce Springsteen cover in there. We did a uh, Final Solution cover. We had a lot of fun with that, a lot of feedback. A lot of a lot of people seemed to enjoy it, yes. despite the fact that they shouldn't have. I legitimately became dizzy. Yeah, it was it was pretty painful stuff. My performance was one of the better ones for sure. I was pretty pleased with it. I did a nice little Chris Isaac cover at the end that I was quite pleased yeah, with myself. Even, even my wife, who isn't like really into noise, yeah. was like, I think she's into noise now. Yeah. We got a lot of local support. It was very nice. We, we got to talk with uh, Jason Krumer and not so much with Richard Dunn, but it was nice of him to be there as well. Good people, good times, good vibes. We, we stayed late. We could have stayed later, but... Uh, 
my delightful girlfriend wanted me home that night since I was so close. So we did that. Fun fact, I almost punched someone in the mouth that night. Yeah. So, was it somebody I know, or was that on accident, or? Uh, someone grabbed Mariah's ass, oh. and she was like, don't. And I was like, but I'm gonna, and she's like, don't. And I was like, alright. Fair enough. Yeah, that can happen, rowdy boys. Yeah, I don't know who the person was. It's probably me. No, no, no. But, um, yeah, we were supposed to play New York. New York didn't happen, but we got to go up there and go to Dead Gods, meet with Matt Becky. Uh, he, he took us out for a couple drinks. That was really nice of him. We also got to meet with my old band member, Daffy, who's gone on to do, like, such incredible things. Her visual art and her recorded music as Drum Loop is extremely exceptional. Check it out. We played a record release show, opened for her last summer, and it was really a good time. That was fun. It was a really hot, muggy day. New York, when it's hot and muggy, does kind of yeah. suck. It's like a level of filth that you can't get off of you. But it was nice to, to do all that. It was They turned the generator off that powers dead gods in the stores nearby, the which are all in like essentially shipping containers. And so we had to like put all of our cell phones in the corner of the shelving so we could like light up the room, which was fun. <laughs> we, all, we all had a couple drinks inside. I bought a bunch of good noise records. And... Um, then our last night was Providence. We had to drive through insane traffic to get there, and the tour ended with the Passion of the Cooter. And for those who don't know, Bill Cooterson was condemned to death by the Cosmic Court, and he was crucified on a crucifix, which we made. It was six by four feet. It was quite large. Uh, his side was pierced by the Spear of Longius. Um, Punctious Pilate wiped his hands of the event. He, he said... You know, if they're going to condemn this Cooter to death, he's not going to have any part in it. And uh, Bill Cooterson died. But I will say, and for those who don't know, on the third day he rose again. Instagram can confirm that. He did post again after three days. It was, uh, it was a moving spiritual experience. And to see somebody so wrongly condemned and, and sentenced to death was something I'd never seen before. But it changed the way I looked at mankind and also the way I looked at Bill Cooterson. And to me, the kind of politician who can come back after being executed three days later to still be there for the people is the kind of politician I want in office. As he said so many times on the tour, his wallet's your wallet. You got medical bills, he'll pay them. You got drug debts, he'll probably pay them. You got a crippling addiction to pornography, he'll he'll help you get more pornography. Off. Yeah, or or that. So it was it was an awesome experience i've never gotten to tour like that i've done multiple shows like i've done like pseudo mini tours abroad but this was like a proper full-on tour and we had a blast with it so next time you do this we'll make sure we talk about dates post dates on our instagram and facebook and everything sure yeah that would have been a smart idea to do in advance but yep. uh we're going to be doing it. We're going to be on the campaign trail. We'll be hitting those voters hard before the election next year. So uh, you can look out for us hopefully in June of 2020. Yeah, I'll be back next week with Disco Box recommendations. I mean, we listened to all sorts of stuff on the trip. We had a day where it was Converge and Red House Painters back to back to back to back, which was very <laughs> intense. We had some days where it was just like nothing but grind, agoraphobic nosebleeds, speedcore type stuff. And then... Other days where we listen to Japanese psych rock until our ears bled. And uh, it's too hard for me to recap all that stuff. So thank you to everybody who hosted us, who supported us. Thanks. I didn't mention Evan from Black Lace in Providence. Thank you for putting that show on. Thank you, Will, for letting us crash at your house. 
everyone who was involved in any way really the biggest thanks we can offer we uh we hugely appreciate it we couldn't have done any of this stuff without all the help we got so but yeah that's that's uh that's what i got for you tonight phenomenal can't wait can't wait till we can score that interview yeah yeah it'll be a good one and there will be uh audio documentation and some visual documentation of the tour coming out on vanity recordings probably within the next two months so look for that incredible simply incredible thank you and that is all we have for BDMFT this week, ladies and gentlemen, probably mostly gentlemen. And we will see you next time. You can find us on Instagram, Motel Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Motel Podcast. You can find us on Gmail, Motel Podcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, send us little kisses, whatever. Just let us know you're listening. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And later, nerds. nerds.